This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Oh, but we start today with gas prices going through the roof again. $2.22 a liter. Are you kidding me? It's another record high for gas prices in Metro Vancouver, the highest in North America. I've got BC Liberal leader Kevin Falcon standing by. Now, first, have a listen to this. Cabinet Minister Bruce Ralston, the point man for government on this yesterday, he was asked, what are you going to do about it? What kind of relief can you offer drivers? Here's what he had to say. I'm acutely aware of the impact that uh, increased prices are having, whether it's on businesses uh, or on uh, households where you have to get your kids to soccer or to uh, or to school. Well, we're doing we're doing what we can, and we'll consider uh, other measures. Okay, that's Energy Minister Bruce Ralston yesterday. He's saying the government is doing what they can. All right, let's discuss now with BC Liberal Leader Kevin Falcon. I'm very pleased to welcome him back. Kevin, thank you for coming on today. Well, thanks for having me, Mike. Okay, what do you think about what you just heard there from the Energy Minister? It's Look, it's frankly not acceptable. I mean, they were the ones way back in 2017 that, you know, did this big song and dance about how they were going to do something. I've got a whole series of quotes from Horgan saying, you know, we're going to look at whatever tools we need to make life more affordable. Uh, Quote, I'm certainly prepared to look at any opportunity we have, blah, 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 right? They've been saying this for years. Then they did back in 2018, the Utilities Commission, they had them review costs. But here's the problem. Right they weren't allowed to look at any of the government's own policies or taxes. So that's a total waste of time. Um, the fact of the matter is we have gas prices here in BC that are about 50 to 60 cents per liter higher than neighboring jurisdictions, and they have to answer for that. Okay, yeah, so that review that was ordered, they, they specifically said in the terms of reference, you cannot look at government taxation as one of the cost drivers here for gas prices, which That's is right. which is ridiculous. So what does that mean? So you're criticizing that. So you're saying what they should cut gas taxes. Is that what well, you're saying? Well, in Alberta, Alberta suspended its 13 cents a liter fuel tax on the basis right. that um, given the extraordinarily high prices right now, they would suspend that. Uh, the NDP mocked it and said, well, that's not going to work because the gas stations will just make up that difference, et cetera. That has not happened. They are getting a break over there. Um, look, you have to look and at you think they decisions. should. you think they should do the same thing here, cut gas taxes. Well, Is that I, correct? Look, I do think prices have gone up so extraordinarily high that they do have to look at providing relief to folks because this has gotten you know beyond just a talking point about oh gee it's hurting a little bit uh, i was at a farm in south delta to give you an idea in 2001 their diesel costs which have also gone up lockstep uh, were 267,000 in 2021 they're forecasting mike that they're going to be over 400,000 in 2022 because they've got 25 tractors they got 14 trucks they've got forklifts i mean these are the kind of things that are going to all be passed along to consumers now in the form of higher um, agricultural product prices right. that gets passed on to families so i just think you know we have got to start looking at this and remember this is the government this is the ndp and john horgan 
that when Trans Mountain Pipeline, the only pipeline we have from Alberta to get fuel into the lower mainland, when when they were uh, talking about twinning it and wanting to get that work started, John Horgan said he would, quote, use every tool in the toolbox to try and stop and thwart that pipeline expansion. And no surprise, uh, they were unsuccessful, but they wasted millions of our tax dollars on legal fees trying to slow it down and stop it. Um, and that project has been severely delayed as a result of the NDP. And now we have, not surprisingly, the highest gas prices in North America. They don't understand the relationship between supply and demand. Speaking to BC Liberal leader Kevin Falcon, so when the government is asked, what kind of relief are you going to give to people here with these record high gas prices? One of the things the government turns around and says, well, we're giving you relief. We're already cutting you an ICBC rebate check, $110 per policyholder. And those, that checks, those checks are going out this month and next month. What do you say to that? 110 bucks people are getting. Uh, well, it's a joke, obviously. I mean, for most vehicles, uh, any typical van here, that's not going to cover maybe one fill-up, one tank fill-up. The, the problem is deeper than that. I think we have to go back to, remember, we used to have a revenue-neutral carbon tax, and that meant that every nickel that was generated in carbon tax revenues to government had to be returned back to the lowest two income tax brackets and to reducing small business taxes. And one of the first things the NDP did in one of their first budgets was say, we're getting rid of the revenue neutrality and we're going to take all those billions of dollars into government, which they've been doing. And frankly, that's billions of dollars that should be in the pockets of British Columbians. They could start by returning the carbon tax to revenue neutrality and sending those dollars back to the folks that need it most. The NDP this morning knew you were coming on the show They've been sending me emails with some of your, speaking of old quotes that you've been collecting of Horgan, they sent me some of your old quotes. So back when you were the transportation minister in a previous liberal government, we also had record increases in gas prices when the liberals are in power. And you said, quote, I don't want to pretend there's any magic solution to the fact fuel prices have doubled in the past 12 months. That was way back in 2008. So if you didn't have a magic wand back then when you when you were in power, why do you expect the government to have a magic wand now? Well, because at least we had a revenue-neutral carbon tax and we were sending all of those dollars, over a billion dollars a year, went right back into the pockets of lower-income British Columbians, the ones that are most affected by rising fuel prices. And keep in mind that back in those days, the idea of, uh, you know, really high prices was, uh, you know, a fraction of what we're paying today. So um, I think that was the right position we had back then because we had that revenue neutrality. But, of course, this government always wants to take every nickel into government so that they can spend it as government knows best. That's their philosophy. And that's why they're not returning it back to British Columbians. Okay, bottom line it for me here. You said that in Alberta they cut the gas tax there, but what was it, 13 cents a liter in Alberta they That's cut? Correct. Okay, yeah. so you, you're saying they should do the same here. Is that right? I want to make sure I got you clearly on the record here. Is that what you're saying they should do here? Yes, I think during these extraordinarily okay. challenging times right now, providing a temporary tax holiday for those mm-hmm. folks that are most impacted would not be a bad decision to consider. Thank you for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Mike. All right, here we go now with the Broadway plan debate. 40-story high-rises for Kitsilano, Fairview, Mount Pleasant. Will it destroy these neighborhoods? Or 
Do we have no choice? We need housing. We've got to build it, and we've got to build up, up, up. There is nowhere else to build. All right, let's discuss it now. What a great panel we have for you, both sides of it. Christian Johansson is the former chair of the Kitsilano Chamber of Commerce. He runs a small business on Broadway, the Foot Solutions Footwear Store on Broadway. Christian, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Mike. You bet. Also on the line, Bill Thielman. Bill is one of the leaders of the opposition group opposed to this plan. They rallied on the weekend. Bill, thank you for coming on. My pleasure. All right, gentlemen, thank you to both of you. Christian, let me go to you first. You support this plan, right? Tell me why. I mean, having a small business always on Broadway, I mean, uh, and being part also of the uh, West Broadway uh, Business Improvement Association, uh, we've been... Um, you know, definitely looking, obviously, at uh, more um, density in the neighborhood to be able to support our small businesses. And, you know, that's you know, where we support, you know, h- you know, higher, taller buildings with more people, obviously. Um, <clears throat> and definitely, uh, you know, would like to see more people walking the streets again. Okay, so you say it would be good for business. What about the people who live in these neighborhoods who don't want to see these changes? Who don't want to see the changes? I mean, uh, the changes are already coming. I mean, I, I see buildings coming up uh, left, right, and center around my 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 business, and um, you know, a lot of the um, spaces also are complaining. Uh, you know, many of the small business owners here are complaining about the uh, extra tax they have to pay for air that you know is not necessarily doesn't have residents living in it right now. So it it makes sense, you know, to to have uh, you know taller uh, taller buildings uh, serving these servicing these areas so that the uh, businesses can have clients coming in and okay uh, and survive okay bill bill thielman it's good for business what do you say well it depends i mean we could put 100 story towers up all over kitsilano too and would there be even more people there but i don't think that's what christian's arguing for i think that what people in kitsilano and people on the other side of this broadway plan mike goes from from clark drive in the east to vine uh, in the West, and it yeah. would put a massive number of towers, um, 40 stories around the Broadway and Granville area, 20 to 40 on, um, on either side of there. And it's not the kind of, I mean, Kitsilano residents fought in the 70s to have a height restriction on buildings because they started building very tall skyscrapers. It was turning into a bit of a Miami if it had gotten out of control. And what we want to see is, uh, I agree with Christian, we want to see gentle density. We want to see density that people can accept and want to have. And that's when the, that's just the biggest problem with the Broadway plan outside of the particulars is this is not something that's been done with the consultation of the voters, of taxpayers like Christian and myself. I live on West Broadway. I own a business. Um, we People don't even, I suspect most people don't even know this is going on. And the cost of this, this is going to demolish and displace thousands, uh, demolish thousands, hundreds and hundreds of low-cost, low-rise rental housing right now that people have that's affordable, that's under, under rent control increases. And um, we see the displacement of all those people. Bill, I don't think that's good for business at all. Hey, Bill, when you say you need gentle densification, I mean, isn't the time for any kind of gentle policy here is over? I mean, we need housing. People are desperate. People are desperate to find a place to live. Where else are we going? We got to build places for people to live. Do we not? And there's no place else to build except up. You got the ocean on one side. You got mountains everywhere else. There's not a lot of land left. You've got to build up. Well, one of the problems with the Broadway plan, Mike, is that it really focuses putting an extra 50,000 to 150,000 people on the Broadway corridor alone. 
Um, it doesn't affect the rest of, this, of other parts of the city where we could increase density. There has been some increase in density, and we can go. The, the existing height limits are not even being met right now. You can go to four and even five stories along the Broadway corridor right now, and, it, and that hasn't happened. This is a giant development mm. game, and I think the city council majority that's, that I, I fear will vote for this is um, kowtowing to developers and kowtowing to demands of of the provincial government, but um, we're, look, we're looking at years and years away from uh, actually seeing some of these buildings done. The mayor, Mayor Kennedy Stewart, has come up with a fantasy land plan that will take people who are going to be displaced by uh, the massive amount of, of demolition that would take place, take them somewhere, put them up temporarily for several years while these buildings are built, then move them yeah. back, and then he actually said their rent will be even lower. Uh, I you know. know this is just a completely unbelievable thing. The reality, which we've seen in Burnaby uh, under Mayor Derek Corgan, who was defeated over this, was massive demo evictions, huge luxury towers going up. Uh, a lot of them, uh, most of them, condominiums, very expensive, and okay. even with foreign buyers. Okay, okay. The mayor's fantasy land plans aside, Christian Johansson. Your thoughts on the densification, particularly for this corridor, because I think the people, ha what people have to keep in mind is. There's rapid transit going in there. We're putting in a, a subway line along there. Does it make sense that if you're going to densify, you densify near rapid transit so people don't have to have a vehicle? Your thoughts? I mean, a lot, a lot of people do uh, you know, obviously appreciate having rapid transit. I mean, you can see it you know, all along the Camby line, but it, that's, that's taking years to develop as well. And uh, I believe you know, personally that higher towers you know, obviously are going to accommodate more units and, and then, uh, then shorter units. Uh, but you know, at the same time, eventually, you know, we're going to see more um, uh, development of, uh, you know, multi uh, single family housing in the in the area as well, where there's going to be definitely more uh, buildings all across Vancouver that are going to increase in height. I mean, we do see towers going up at Oak Ridge uh, and there's towers, you know, everywhere around us. But, but many of these um, uh, buildings that are, you know, being built and even westbrook village if you look at westbrook village i mean there's towers there as well and it's 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 actually a beautiful place uh to call home these days uh, and that doesn't even get connected through the uh broadway uh project at this point uh but one one of, okay. one of the downsides i find with with vancouver is there's a lot of places that are now uh you know the streets are empty businesses are leaving uh, and especially when you look at point gray and dunbar area you know many of these um Places have uh, larger vacancies than any other um, business um, locations in, Bill in the city. Bill Thielman, your thoughts? Well, when we look at some of the great cities of the world, Mike, like Paris and Amsterdam, Vienna, uh, Barcelona, they don't build 40-story towers at every metro station. In fact, Paris bans them. Uh, in central Paris, you don't see any uh, high-rises above eight stories. So there's ways that we can do this that make more sense and that, that citizens will accept. This is a plan which is not going to be acceptable. And the other piece in the democratic deficit we have at this council, why would a council that's got a few months left in its term be voting on such a dramatic and radical change just before? Before they face the face the voters, this should uh, not. This should be deferred. It should not happen now. And if they really are mm. keen on it and they think it's such a great idea, why don't you put it on the actual voters' ballot and let every voter decide if they want to mm. have this or not? All right, welcome back to the show. As we continue talking about the Broadway plan, forty-story high-rises here, Kitsilano, Fairview, Mount Pleasant, both sides of it for you. Bill Tillman, he's opposed to the plan. Christian Johansson, he supports it. Lots of calls on the open line. Barbara in Cloverdale. Hi, Barbara. Go ahead. Uh, hi. Good morning. 
obviously I don't vote in 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 the Vancouver any Vancouver ridings, but I mean it, it's these high rises are popping up everywhere, and why should that neighborhood in particular be immune to it? Right? It's, it's yeah. every little pocket has these giant high rises. I mean, White Rock. I used to live in White Rock. It's it's astronomical the growth. Okay, um, Bill. What do you say to that? I mean. You- Thank you for the call, Barbara. Bill, you said that these high-rises would turn Vancouver into some sort of dystopian concrete canyon. I mean, we've already got high-rises on the skyline of Vancouver, so what's the problem? Well, we don't want to have these giant 40-story towers all over the entire city. I think that would really dramatically and negatively change the city in in a terrible way. I'm sorry for Barbara that that's happening, but look, as I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, Mayor Derek Corgan uh, got defeated in an election because he wouldn't put a stop to the demo evictions of rental, affordable rental housing all over Burnaby. And I think that uh, in, in every community, there has to be engagement with citizens. People have to uh, be willing to accept those sort of things. We have the West End, and people like the West End, love the West End, and it's an area where we have lots of high-rises, although we still okay. have some single-family homes. It's up to the people to decide, not, not just a few people on council pushing something through. Okay, Christian, when you hear this argument that building these high-rises would destroy these neighborhoods, how do you respond to that? Well, I think it comes down to architecture. I mean, there's obviously lots of ways to make uh, high-rises you know, greener and, and make them look uh, more appealing to the eye and then also encompass nature in that because, you know, obviously if you have, uh, you know, just concrete towers, you know, that's probably not what we want Vancouver to look like. You know, we want this to be a green city. And, you know, I think also if you add more high-rises, you should be looking at uh, adding more parkland, you know, potentially widening some of the parks or making some, enlarging some of these parks to be able to make up for, you know, the increased um, stories. But Okay, okay, uh, back to the High-rises are going to be, you know, happening in the future, I believe, anyway. Because as you right. said, Mike, you know, we can only go up. We can't go east. You can't go west. We have an agricultural land reserve in the in the province that you know we can't step over. So uh, you know you have to yeah. you have to move in the direction of uh, of the sky. Back to the phone line, Cindy in Kitsilano. Hi, Cindy. Go ahead. Oh, hi. I live in Kitsilano in um, a, a house, and um, I'm absolutely for the plan. I think it's a great oh. idea. I have a daughter who's. 23 and a son, and I'm telling you, these young people are absolutely desperate for housing. They have friends that are living in their vehicles, and the rent, the studio apartment is like $2,000 for in East Van, and um, they need to make more housing. It's simple to solve this, densify, supply, and demand. It will bring down the prices. And in Kitsilano, there's lots of parks. We've got Connaught Park. Um, we've got Carnarvon Park. I don't understand why people are so afraid of high rises. I I raised my daughter in um, down in Yale Town as it was growing. Young families, kids. They had, there were so many kids down there. They had to build new schools. The, uh, these high rises. I don't understand why people on the west side are so afraid of high rises. I don't get right. it. I thank you, Cindy, for that for that call, Bill. What do you say to her? She lives in Kits. She's not worried. 
Well, I'm sure some people support it, but look, these are not affordable housing. These are going to be market value rentals. So uh, we already know that rents have gone up astronomically, uh, as have housing prices in Vancouver across the board. And these are not, uh, we're not creating affordable housing. We're not building cooperatives. We're not building uh, kind of buildings that could actually find uh, Cindy's kids a a reasonable place. We already know the average rent in Vancouver for one bedroom is well over 2,000. And uh, these developers, they're they're not coming in there as a charity. They're coming in there to make a lot of money and they're going to charge you a lot for a small space okay richard on the line in vancouver hi richard go ahead yeah hi i'm coming really down on the side of bill on this because i think the biggest point for me other than the fact i don't think this is going to create affordable housing you don't fill up the landfills with affordable housing and put up concrete towers and call that affordable it ain't going to be affordable Mm. but you know you got to follow the money this is dirty deeds done dirt cheap this Councils going and imposing this on the public a couple of months before an election. Follow the money. If CKNW really wants to do a service on this on this issue, find out how much money Kennedy Stewart and a lot of those council members are getting funded by the development community in Vancouver. Because, mm, okay, Richard. You know, I've okay. Gone to public hearings, and yeah. you know what? They always side with developers. They never decide with communities and residents. Richard, thank you for the call. Christian, what do you say to him? Well, I mean, I think that like any development has to be uh, a collaboration between developers as well as the city of Vancouver. You know, in the end, uh, the city, you know, uh, officials are obviously, I mean, not necessarily official. I mean, because I don't believe government necessarily makes, I mean, they make decisions and plans, but in the end, it's up to the um, engineers, you know, to approve these plans and, and to make sure that, you know, the city is, is kind of sticking to its its natural um uh, you know, look and feel that we've that we've come accustomed to. You know, with uh, with open parks and and uh, waterfront mm. that's accessible to all, right? So, I mean, in the end, uh, you know, many of these projects haven't even been developed yet. I mean, there's uh, yeah. there's proposals for 40 story towers, but in the end, uh, you know, there's going to be meetings also regarding those towers to you know ensure that they um, they uh, look and feel the way that the uh, neighborhood wants them to look and feel. But, Joanne. Uh, Joanne on the line on Vancouver Island. Hi, Joanne. Go ahead. Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, I, my big question was good. The speaker didn't give me a chance to say, but I, I'm wondering, I'm hoping, I want to hear that every one of these humongous high-rise buildings is going to be built to the strictest earthquake-proof standards, just like they have in Japan. And I've, I've heard this conversation from other places as well, and I never hear the word earthquake proof. Um, so, okay, Joanne, to- thank thank you for that, Bill Tealman. What's the answer to that? Well, uh, they'll be earthquake-proof. I think the standards of engineering and construction are very high, but we haven't even talked about the the very negative uh, environmental impacts of using concrete and having giant concrete buildings, which is like putting up sundials all over the city. The amount of energy, carbon, uh, GHGs that is produced, and then the heating and cooling for these giant, um, you know, basically a concrete slab in the sky is phenomenal. We could do a whole show about that one as well. Let's squeeze in one more call. Jane in Fairview. Jane, you got 30 seconds. Go ahead. Thanks, Mike. I think Vancouver needs affordable housing for young families, students, office and social services people, as well as new Canadians. And I am very skeptical that this massive development, such as the one at 1477, will fit into the budgets 
At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Okay. All right. Welcome back to the show. Let's talk about this economy now. And it's a scary one out there for sure. Inflation on the rise, including, of course, gas prices soaring to record high levels right here in B.C. We've discussed that in detail on the show today. Interest rates up is another rate hike from the Bank of Canada all but certain here in the days ahead. The market's uh, continuing to get hammered here. And he's looking at TSX right now, uh, down 228 points, down over a, a percentage point on the day. The Dow is down 64 points right now. The Dow Jones is down, or the S&P 500 is down 16% on the year. Wow. Okay, let's discuss all this now. The headline today in the Financial Post, Canadians are clinging to cash as a saving strategy in this economy right now. Let's discuss that with my guest, Josh Nye, Senior Economist at RBC. Very pleased to welcome him. Hey, Josh, thanks for coming on today. Hi, thanks for inviting me. You bet. Thanks a lot. Let's talk about this headline in the in the National Post or the the Financial Post today. Canadians clinging to cash. What does that mean? Like a lot of Canadians are not investing in markets, or they're not investing in other vehicles. They're just hanging on to cold hard cash right now. Is that what's going on? Yeah, we saw a real surge in demand for cash during the pandemic. In, in fact, the amount of currency circulating in Canada's economy relative to the size of the economy is at its highest level since the early 1960s. And it's not because we're using cash more um, for payments. In, in fact, use of cash as a method of payment has continued to decline over the past 10 years or so. We saw that uh, trend extending during the pandemic. It's really um, the other way that we use cash, which is as a store of value, essentially you know, holding onto wealth uh, or, or keeping some cash around for a rainy day. That's where we've um, seen a, a lot of an increase in, um, in demand Perhaps not surprising that we saw that during the pandemic. We've seen during past periods of crisis uh, or perceived crises that people flock into cash. I'm thinking, you know, Y2K during the global financial crisis and then again during the pandemic. Yeah. And do you think people are holding on to cash right now because of this uncertain economy? I mean, you got interest rates rising, inflation running at multi-decade highs right now. Does that encourage people to sort of hang on to cold, hard cash? So, I mean, we've seen, you know, people sort of accumulating savings during the pandemic because you know, they weren't able to go out and, and spend like they normally do. And so, you know, people also have, you know, more money in their in their bank accounts than they did pre-pandemic. So I think part of it is just, you know, holding both deposits and, and holding cash. Um, it's interesting if we look back over the past decade or so, even pre-pandemic, you saw rising demand for cash. I think that was a product of what was a low interest rate and low stable inflation environment. As you said, you know, those things are, are changing right now. So it'll be interesting to see if that impacts the demand for cash in the next couple of months. Um, you know, rising inflation means cash is losing its value more quickly. So you, know, you might want to park that in, um, in something that's going to give you a bit better return. 
Yeah, speaking of Josh Nye, senior economist at RBC, Josh, what is your analysis of this e- economy right now? Like, let's start with inflation. Uh, have the, have this in, these inflation numbers surprised you at all? Do you think inflation is going to keep getting worse? Yeah, I, th- I think the persistence of inflation, uh, you know, has been a surprise over the past several months. And then, you know, you've had these unanticipated events like Russia's invasion of Ukraine that have put um, additional upward pressure on commodity prices. I mean, I'd say that's a, a key factor in, in why gasoline is so expensive right now. Um, we are expecting, you know, some of this pressure will start to ease. We think um, some of the global supply chain issues that have put upward pressure on prices will gradually ease over the course of the year. Um, you know, uh, gasoline prices probably aren't going to continue increasing at the same pace that they have um, recently. And you know, that's going to take some of the heat out of inflation as well. But you've also got an, an economy that's you know, performing really strongly. Demand is very strong. Demand for labor is very strong. Um, yeah. That's going to be pushing wages higher, and, and that could feed through into more domestic inflationary pressure. Yeah, it's kind of a weird time, isn't it? I mean, you've got rising interest rates, rising inflation. I hear a lot of analysts saying we could be look, staring down an inf- a recession coming in the months ahead, but everybody's working, right? I mean, it seems like the economy's at like full employment almost, would you say? Yeah, yeah, I, I would definitely say full employment. I mean, the, yeah. the unemployment rate is the lowest we've seen um, since going back to 1976. Um, at least. So, yeah, certainly current conditions are very strong. Um, that's kind of the, the environment, though, where you do um, start to think more about recession risk rising, just because there's not so much room to continue to grow at a really strong rate. There's more um, room to the downside. And, and I think central banks have, um, you know, a, a delicate balance that they need to strike going forward, trying to rein in inflation without tightening financial conditions so much that uh, they slow the economy um, more than they want to. Okay, on that point, what about interest rates? What is your outlook there? Yeah, so I think the next Bank of Canada meeting is in early June. We're probably going to see another uh, 50 basis point increase at a half percent rate hike, wow. which is what they did in April for the first time since 2000. I think we'll probably see even another half point hike at the following meeting in July. The Bank of Canada has said that they want to get interest rates up toward a more neutral level um, in, in pretty short order. Right now, the, the policy rate is around 1%. Something in the 2 to 3% range would be considered neutral, and, and I think they want to get there pretty quickly. Yeah, when you take a look at some of the housing demands and some of the indicators there, how does that play into the Bank of Canada's decisions around interest rates right now? Does that make them a little, a little hesitant to continue to hike infl- uh, interest rates? Yeah, it's interesting because the anticipation of interest rate increases has already fed through into longer-term borrowing costs, and that's sort of showing up in the mortgage market. If you look at, say, a five-year fixed-rate mortgage, you know those rates have gone up quite a bit. They were going up even before the Bank of Canada began their tightening cycle, and and so, you know, I think housing, for instance, is going to be the leading edge of of where the economy um, starts to feel these interest rate increases. Of course, housing has been you know, a, re- a really strong point for Canada's economy. Um, so, you know, I think it's, it's natural to see some some moderation in that after a year of record sales and, and record home building in, uh, in 2021. Okay. I think a big question on a lot of people's minds right now, Josh, is, and you touched on this briefly, is the risk of a recession. What is, 
what are you seeing there? Like, what is your gut telling you on that? Yeah, certainly I, the, the risk of recession, um, you know, has, has increased. And, and as I said, that's to some extent just a function of Canada's uh, economic recovery reaching a pretty mature stage. And, um, you know, it's, it's tough for unemployment, for instance, to go much lower when it's already at a multi-decade low. So, you know, there's more room for, for a sort of downside surprise. And, and, you know, this is typical of, of any sort of late cycle environment. We would have been saying the same thing say, in 2019, when the economy was also um, doing quite well and, and had fully recovered, you know, recession risk was higher. Um, it's always, though, tough to predict what is going to be that trigger for an economic slowdown. I think in 2019, you know, nobody would have said that it would be a global pandemic that caused uh, caused the recession. So, you know, it, in, in the current cycle, I think perhaps you can point to, um, you know, inflation and, and central banks needing to raise interest rates and the potential for a sort of policy error where they're tightening uh, tightening monetary policy too much and, and that slows the economy. I think even if they are able to engineer a sort of soft landing and you know bring inflation down without um, without slowing the economy too much, we're still going to be in a scenario where you know there's there's somewhat elevated risk of uh, of recession just again because of where we are in the cycle. What, what do you think of that stock market sell-off? I mean, there's been some brutal days on the markets here. I mean, is that just another reflection of recession fears? Yeah, I, I think to some extent. I mean, it, certainly there's been an increase in, in risk aversion um, because of you know, some of these potential recessionary triggers. But, you know, I think it's also just a, a product of, um, you know, a rising interest rate environment and, and interest rates rising really at a, a pace that we haven't seen in a long time. As I said, that 50 basis point hike from the Bank of Canada in April. That was the first time they had hiked rates by that much um, since uh, since May of 2000. Um, you know they're they're going to be increasing rates to a level that we haven't seen um, since the global financial crisis. So you know I think the market is is trying to digest all of these developments and you know think of of what they mean for you know future earnings and, and things like that. Josh, thanks for coming on with your analysis today. I appreciate it. Great. Thanks again for inviting me. All right. Let's talk about those record high gas prices. Oh, man. Highest ever. Highest gas prices in North America. We've got the highest gas taxes on the continent. And now, once again, we're seeing the highest gas prices we've ever paid here in Metro Vancouver. Let's check in with Dan McTague now, President, Canadians for Affordable Energy. Dan, thanks for coming on again. Uh, Good to be here, Mike. Thank you. Dan, how much are people paying for gas in Metro Vancouver right now? What are the latest numbers? Yeah, it's 222.9, um, and it's uh, only going to last another, oh, I don't know, maybe you know, 15, 18 hours before you get a four-cent decrease tomorrow. So if you can hold on, wait till after midnight, uh, that 222.9 goes down to 218.9. And if all works out well, Mike, uh, we're going to see a decrease in the pumps. Uh, from that point of 218.9, likely down to about 214.9 on Thursday, only because there is a, uh, a renewed fear of a uh, global recession. How do you know this stuff? How do you know the prices are going to go down? Watch the markets. The Pacific Northwest market, the Chicago spot market, the New York Mercantile Exchange. I uh, look at the Canadian dollar. Um, pretty easy to figure out where prices are going if you have a pretty good idea over the past 28 years of doing this what uh, price is going to look like a few days ahead. Not that it really means much, uh, 
from my perspective, because I don't live in Vancouver, but uh, I'm sure for those who follow gaswizard.ca and uh, who listen uh, to this station here, uh, where you usually get the information before anyone else, um, it hopefully will be helpful, both in terms of prices going up and down. Uh, again, you know, uh, I think when people have a little bit more control over uh, where prices are going, uh, it's a little bit of power to them. What about the sort of the longer term outreach I mean, uh, outlook? I mean, that's great to hear. We could get a short term decrease here in the days ahead. But do you see gas prices continuing to rise longer term? Yeah, I mean, this is summer uh, or we're heading towards May 2-4 weekend, the unofficial launch of the summer driving season. And a lot of people think, well, they're not going to drive. They're going to drive. They're just not going to do a lot of other things in between those drives like they usually did, like drop off at a store or perhaps a favorite restaurant or, uh, you know, the frills that go along with travel. I mean, everyone wants to get back on the road as soon as possible. Uh, I suspect these prices are going to be back up in the 222 to 230 range at times throughout the summer. Could be higher, could be lower. One of the factors that has to be considered here is... uh, one, you know, oil is not traded as strongly as it uh, has over the past week or two. Mo- much of this on the basis that uh, lockdowns, COVID-related lockdowns, continue in China. It's the second largest, not the biggest, but the second largest uh, importer. Uh, largest importer, but second largest uh, consumer of oil products. So it being shut down for a period of time is giving uh, the impression that demand has slackened. Once this gets back up and running and uh, the government there stimulates the economy, uh, look out. And that could be just a matter of a few weeks away, along with the summer driving season and the traditional problems we run into with uh, refinery outages. Uh, you know, the Olympic pipeline, uh, uh, refineries just south of the border running into some trouble. Any of those events happen during the summer, they often do. Uh, then you can see a big price spike of, you know, 8 to 10 cents a litre in, in any oh. given time. We continue to have the highest gas prices on the continent here in British Columbia. Why is that? Why are people in, in Metro Vancouver especially getting hammered this hard every single time? We've got the highest prices anywhere. Why is it? Why is that? Yeah, well, you have a clean fuel standard, carbon, low-carbon fuel standard. That's $0.16 cents a litre right from the get-go. Everyone else has the other taxes, but they also don't have a TransLink tax. So between those two, uh, you know, you can see a variation uh, in and out of the province. Uh, in and out of the lower mainland area served by TransLink, that works out to about mm, 12, 13 cents a litre. Then you have the clean fuel standard on top of that of 16 cents a litre. So right from the get-go, you're at a disadvantage, uh, you know, a, a pretty significant one to the rest of the country. Yeah, that clean fuel standard gets cited frequently. What exactly is that? Uh, it's the requirement by refineries to uh, buy carbon credits for their fuel. In other words, either do it yourself, reduce the amount of carbon uh, involved with uh, processing of gasoline, or buy someone who has credits or offsets, whatever you want to call them. They've been around for a while. Back in the day, it was only $115, $120 a credit. Now it's about $450 to $500 a credit. And that's where the uh, so-called mystery sense has gone. When the uh, government looked into this back a couple of years ago with the uh, BC Utilities Corporation, uh, they concluded that there was 13 mystery cents, and for guys like me, there was no mystery at all. Uh, the mystery is right there, baked in. It was the clean fuel standard uh, that, uh, unfortunately, your government refused to uh, allow any uh, oversight of regulation or looking into regulation. Mm. Had they done so, that would have been pretty obvious. But there it is. It's black and white, $460 a ton. Uh, sorry, $460 a carbon credit. You know, refineries have to pass that price on, and that works out to $0.16 cents a litre. So 
Welcome to uh, the world of high taxes. I figure it's about 74 cents a litre on 220, 2.9 for, uh, for gasoline in uh, BC. Wow. 74 cents a litre. Yeah. In ta- wow. Dan McTague is my guest, Canadians for Affordable Energy. Speaking of the BC government, Dan, let me play a clip here for you, get your thoughts. This is BC Energy Minister Bruce Ralston speaking yesterday. He was asked, what will the government do about these sky-high gas prices? Here's what he had to say, then I'll get your thoughts. I'm acutely aware of the impact that increased prices are having, whether it's on businesses or on households where you have to get your kids to soccer or to, uh, or to school. Well, we're doing, we're doing what we can, and we'll consider other measures. Okay, he says we're doing what we can. The government is sending out an ICBC rebate check on your auto insurance starting this month, $110 per policy, which for a lot of people doesn't even buy one fill-up. But your thoughts, like he's saying they're doing what they can. Are you, you buying that? No, because they could be doing what the federal government's doing in my province, uh, although I don't think it's going to hit everybody. Everyone here, a lot of people here get a, you know anywhere from 500 to $600 rebate on their carbon tax. So why are you only getting a hundred bucks? What's the government doing with the other 400? I mean, look, if that's the road you want to go down, and, and I think the BC uh, government has made it very clear they want high prices to get people out of vehicles and driving EVs, uh, you know, <laughs> stick with what you want. If that's what you really want, uh, and, and consumers in their province have voted for this, then they should not be surprised yeah. that they're paying the highest prices. But that aside, I think it's important to be very, very you know, emphatic about why we see these prices now. Uh, the same mantra also says no more oil, no more pipelines. When we're not selling the very thing Canada could provide to the rest of the world, uh, more oil at a time in which they desperately need it, uh, you can see where that has an impact as well in, in, you know, indirectly on the cost of uh, the, the value of the Canadian dollar, which continues to weaken. 130 pennies by U.S. dollar, that's adding 32 cents a litre to the price of gasoline. So, you know, when you have a, a same party, same politician saying we use every tool in the toolbox to block the Trans Mountain Pipeline, could have delivered 800,000 yeah. barrels to the world that tr- desperately needs it. You kind of have to, to own this, guys. This is what you wanted. And but now you if have that... It. If that Trans Mountain Pipeline, which, you know, they were unsuccessful in, in blocking it, although they spent millions fighting it, yep. that is a project that is primarily for oil export, right? So how does that, right. how does that impact gas prices here at home? Well, it would drop the price of oil, and it would increase the value of the Canadian dollar. Uh, we have more to export. We have to use con- convert foreign dollars into Canadian dollars. That would increase the value of the loonie to some extent. Not completely, but it would certainly have a positive impact. Uh, the world's short 3 million barrels. This is 800,000 barrels plus. That would get us one-third of the way there. So you could see where uh, Canada could have been the solution had it not been for you know uh, activists and the government paying tax money to block a pipeline that would already be up and running. I don't want to say coulda, shoulda, woulda, but my goodness, uh, Mike, I had this discussion many, many times from 2015, 2016 on, saying, why yeah. are you doing this? Uh, at some, some point down the road, the world's going to need more Canadian oil uh, because the alternative is you know, Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, Iran, or Russia. Uh, take your, choose your poison, but at the end of the day, we need more oil. The world needs more oil, like it or not, no matter how it runs counter to the green narrative. Okay, let me ask you about what Alberta has done in temporarily at least cutting gas taxes to help people through this. I spoke to Kevin Falcon this morning, the opposition leader here in the B.C. legislature, leader of the B.C. Liberal Party. He's calling on the B.C. government 
to cut gas taxes too. Here's what he had to say to me, then I'll get your thoughts. Okay, bottom line it for me here. You said that in Alberta they cut the gas tax there, but what was it, 13 cents a liter in Alberta they That's cut? Correct. Okay, yeah. so you, you're saying they should do the same here. Is that right? I want to make sure I got you clearly on the record here. Is that what you're saying they should do here? Yes, I think during these extraordinarily okay. challenging times right now, providing a temporary tax holiday for those mm-hmm. folks that are most impacted would not be a bad decision to consider. Okay, quite often, Dan... When people bring up the issue of the gas tax reduction in Alberta, opponents of that will say, oh, the oil companies are just gouging people anyway. If the government cuts gas taxes by 13 cents a liter, they, the gas companies just put up the price of gas by the 13 cents to eat up that margin. Is that true? No, because it's down to as little as a dollar fifty-four in Edmonton and dollar sixty in uh, in Calgary. Now there are yeah. some stations that are a little higher by three cents. That's not the case at all. What's interesting though is uh, you know forget. Uh, t- I'm sorry, I, I don't know how you're referring to. He's a political uh, leader of the opposition in your province. He's the he's the leader of the BC Liberal Party. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Look, the parliamentary budget officer basically just took the federal government and said, if you continue down this road of allowing uh, this exorbitant hit to consumers on fuel, like diesel, like gasoline and other things, you're going to cause you know, enormous harm to the economy. And he asked mm. the government, he suggested the government, find a tax way out of this. In other words, drop the taxes. It's something I've been calling for. It's something I actually did 20 years ago when I was a member of parliament, getting a uh, initiatives around uh, a rebate in the, in the home heating GST rebate. Governments have to do what they can to alleviate this uh, this massive hit because it isn't just about gasoline and being trendy on you know particular narrative. It is important that uh, we recognize okay. the poor and those in the middle class are going to be badly affected by this. Someone has, something has to give. Dan, thanks for coming on today. Mike, always a pleasure. Have a great afternoon.